To welcome everybody to the Hebraic Heritage Ministries Yeshiva Discipleship Program. This session we are going to do a teaching on the themes of the Shabbat. Among the material which we're going to cover in this lesson is the following. The Sabbath is a festival of Yahweh. The Sabbath teaches us about our rest in Yeshua, the Messiah. Number three, Yahweh promises abundant blessings for celebrating the Sabbath. Number four, non-Jews may celebrate the Sabbath. Number five, the Sabbath is a day of rest and no work should be done. Number six, you are permitted to do good on the Sabbath. Number seven, the Sabbath is the seventh day of creation. Number eight, the Sabbath is the day of the Lord. Number nine, the Sabbath foreshadows the Messianic era. Number ten, the day of the Lord begins the Messianic era. Number eleven, in that day and at that time are idioms for the Messianic era era sabbath number 12 the sabbath is a remembrance of creation number 13 the sabbath is a remembrance of redemption number 14 the sabbath is a remembrance of restoration number 15 the sabbath is linked with sanctification and holiness number 16 the sabbath is linked with marriage Number 17, the Sabbath is the wedding ring of the covenant vow at Mount Sinai. Number 18, keeping the Sabbath prepares the bride for her wedding. Number 19, the Sabbath foreshadows the promised land. Number 20, the Sabbath is linked with believing the words of Yeshua. And number 21, the Sabbath will be kept during the Messianic era and then for all eternity. That is the subject matter which we're going to be covering in this session. The Sabbath is a festival of Yahweh. In Leviticus chapter 23, verses 2 and 3, it is written, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, Concerning the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim be holy convocations, even these are my feasts. And talking about the feasts of the Lord, the first feast that is mentioned in Leviticus chapter 23 is the weekly Sabbath. For it says, six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work therein. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. Since the Sabbath is a feast of the Lord, what is a feast? In Leviticus chapter 23, verse 2, it is the Strong's number 4150, and it is the Hebrew word moed, which means an appointed time or a sacred assembly. Therefore, we understand that celebrating the weekly Sabbath is an appointed time of Yahweh. The Sabbath is a feast of Yahweh. Notice it does not say the Sabbath is a feast of the Jews. It is a feast of Yahweh. 
Leviticus chapter 23, verse 2, regarding the feasts of Yahweh, he said that they are his feasts. So if these are the feasts of Yahweh, who is Yahweh? Traditionally, when we're reading from the Tanakh, or more commonly called the Old Testament, when we read Yahweh, we write in our minds, God the Father. However, the festivals spoken of in Leviticus chapter 23 are fulfilled by Yeshua the Messiah. It is Yeshua who is our Sabbath rest. How can we see that Yeshua is Yahweh? In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, it says, Wherefore I give you to understand that no man, speaking by the Ruach of God, calls Yeshua accursed. And no man can say that Yeshua is Yahweh except by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that reveals that Yeshua is Yahweh. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, which in these verses, Paul is making a reference to Isaiah chapter 45, verses 22 and 23, and also the Elenu prayer in traditional Judaism that is recited on the Sabbath. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, Paul is making the connection to the Elenu prayer, Isaiah 45, 22 and 23, as being fulfilled in Yeshua, he writes, Wherefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Yeshua every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Yeshua HaMashiach is Yahweh to the glory of God the Father. We can also see how Yeshua is Yahweh by cross-referencing Acts chapter 1 with Zechariah in chapter 14, verses 3 and 4. In Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 12, it is written, And when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they stood steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Yeshua, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olives. So if he's got to come as you saw him go, and he left from the Mount of Olives, where is he got to return unto? The Mount of Olives. We see this in Zechariah chapter 14, verses 3 and 4, when it says, Then shall the Lord, in Hebrew it's Yahweh, then shall Yahweh go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. You know what the rabbis say? The day of battle that is being referred to here in Zechariah chapter 14, verse 3 the rabbis teach it's a reference to when Pharaoh and his army died in the Red Sea. Who does it say did that in Exodus chapter 15, verse 6? It was the right hand, who we understand to be Yeshua. So Yahweh's got to fight against those nations is when he fought in the day of battle, and his feet will stand that day on the Mount of Olives. Whose feet? The feet of Yahweh. And we understand the one that's got to set his feet down on the Mount of Olives is Yeshua. So Yeshua is... Yahweh, and the Sabbath is a festival of Yahweh. The Sabbath teaches us about Yeshua in our rest in Him. 
In Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, it is written, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come. So it mentions the annual festivals, the new moon, but it also mentions the Sabbath. And it's telling us that the Sabbath is a shadow of things to come. Paul wrote this letter after the death of Messiah on the tree. And after the death of Messiah on the tree, he is telling us that the Sabbath is going to teach us about something to come. What is the to come that we are watching for? It is the second coming of Yeshua. The body or the substance of the new moon and the annual holy days and the weekly Sabbath, the substance of all of those things teaches us about Messiah and his redemptive work. There is great blessings and deliverance or salvation that comes upon the people of the God of Israel when they keep his Sabbaths. In Isaiah chapter 56, verses 1 and 2, it is written, Thus says the Lord, Keep ye judgment and do justice, for my salvation is near to come, and my righteousness to be revealed. So he's talking about his salvation that is near and his righteousness that is being revealed. How do we see his deliverance and his righteousness? Blessed is the man that does this and the son of man that lays hold on it, that keeps the Sabbath from polluting it and keeps his hand from doing any evil. So we see the deliverance of Yahweh in our lives whenever we are faithful to keep his commandments, which includes the weekly Sabbath. Continuing on in Isaiah in chapter 56, we are told that Yahweh has a great blessing for non-Jews who choose to keep his Sabbath. It is written, Neither let the son of the stranger that has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord has utterly separated me from his people. See, don't let the stranger say that the Lord has separated me from his people. Who's his people? The nation of Israel. We're not to say that we're separate from the nation of Israel. What does the traditional church teach? We're separate from Israel. And we're told not to say that. But thus says the Lord unto the eunuchs that keep my Sabbath and choose the things that please me and take hold of my covenant. Notice keeping the Sabbath is choosing the things that pleases the God of Israel. And keeping the Sabbath is taking hold of his covenant. Even unto them will I give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than native-born sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Continuing on in Isaiah 56, verses 6 through 8. Also, the sons of the stranger that join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone that keeps the Sabbath from polluting it, and takes hold of my covenant, even them will I bring to my holy mountain. What's the holy mountain? It is Mount Zion. And make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. The Lord God, which gathers the outcasts of Israel, says, Yet will I gather others to him besides those that are gathered unto him. 
no work is to be done on the Sabbath. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 10, and in Isaiah chapter 58, verse 13, it is written, But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, your manservant, nor your maidservant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger that is within your gate. Isaiah 58, verse 13, it is written, If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord honorable, and will honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. So while we're not supposed to work on the Sabbath, we are permitted to do good on the Sabbath. We see in Mark in chapter 3 how Yeshua healed an individual who had a withered hand on the Sabbath. It is written, And he entered again into the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day, that they might accuse him. And he says unto the man which had the withered hand, Stand forth. And he said unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they held their peace. And when he had looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he said unto the man, Stretch forth your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. The Sabbath is the seventh day of creation. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it is written, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. The Sabbath is the seventh day. Exodus chapter 20, verses 9 and 10. Six days shall you labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, your manservant, nor your maidservant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger that is within your gates. The seventh day Sabbath is called the day of the Lord. We find this term for the Sabbath in Isaiah chapter 58 and verse 13. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath the delight, the holy of the Lord honorable. So the Sabbath is called my holy day. The Sabbath is called the holy of the Lord. So the Sabbath is the day of the Lord. In looking at the seven days of creation, we need to understand that it was a prophecy that each day in creation represents 1,000 years of time. So from the time of Adam in the garden until the Messianic era will be 6,000 years, the Messianic era will be 1,000 years, and that will be the end of time as we understand it, then we will enter into a time called eternity. In Psalm chapter 90, verse 4, it says, For a thousand years in your sight are as but as yesterday. A thousand years are likened unto yesterday, when it is past, and as a watch in the night. But, beloved, in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day 
is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. He says, don't be ignorant of that. In the commentary on the Torah by Moses Nachmanides and giving his thoughts on the creation in Genesis in chapter 1 and then continuing in Genesis chapter 2, he writes, The six days of creation represent all the days of the world, i.e., that its existence will be 6,000 years. For this reason, the rabbis have said, a day of the Holy One, blessed be he, is a thousand years. And that's what we just read from Psalm chapter 90 and verse 4. So the rabbis said, the first 2,000 years, there were desolation in the earth. However, there was the creation of light on the first day, corresponding to the thousand years of Adam, who was the light of the world, or created to be the light of the world, and to be the representation and the servant of the God of Israel in the earth, the steward of the God of Israel's creation. The third thousand-year period begins when Abraham was 48 years of age. The fourth thousand-year period began 72 years after the first temple was built and continued until 172 years after the destruction of the second temple. This is how the rabbis have rendered the time frame. Whether those are the exact years that correspond to each thousand years can be debated, but you have the principle that from Adam to the first century is 4,000 years of time. So from the first century to now, we have two more thousand years of time. So we are right now at the end of 6,000 years, which means we're in the transition into the thousand-year period known as the Messianic era. That is why you see the events that are going on in the earth, because we're about to transition from the first 6,000 years into the Messianic era. Continuing on, it says, On the fifth day, the water swarmed with living creatures and fowl flying above the earth. This was a reference to the fifth thousand-year period, which began 172 years after the destruction of the second temple. Then the sixth day corresponds to the sixth thousand-year period in the beginning in which the quote-unquote beast symbolizing the kingdoms that knew not the God of Israel will rule. This beast that is ruling in our days is seen as being the Roman beast, the Roman exile. The rabbis link Rome with Esau because they say that Rome was founded by the descendants of Esau. Therefore, at the end of days, when the people of the God of Israel are ultimately going to rule and reign on the earth for a thousand years, who is Jacob and his name's being changed to Israel, he's going to have a battle with this beast, which is Esau. So the transition from what has been until the Messianic era is a battle between Jacob and Esau. And then it says how the transition will happen. Nachmanides writes, The Redeemer will come, as it is said concerning him. His throne is as the sun before me. This is the son of David, who was formed in the image of God. 
as it is written, and behold, there came with the clouds of heaven one like unto a son of man, and he came even to the ancient of days, and he was brought near before him, and there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom. So Nachmanides saying that that verse in Daniel is speaking about the Redeemer of Israel, the Messiah. Yeshua quoted that verse and said that refers to him. Then the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, alludes to the world to come, which will be wholly a Sabbath and will bring rest for life everlasting. The seventh day Sabbath of creation foreshadows the Messianic era. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, and then verse 10, it is written, But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. So one day is as a thousand years, and then it says, but the day of the Lord. So how long is the day of the Lord? A thousand years. Don't be ignorant. One day is with the Lord a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, which means we will be caught off guard, just like you're caught off guard when a thief comes in the middle of the night. Notice that the day of the Lord comes in the night. What do we call the night? We call the night the tribulation. So the start of the tribulation is the beginning of the Messianic era. In the which the heavens shall pass away with great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. So why is the earth melting with fervent heat? We call it chemical, biological, and nuclear warfare. So the day of the Lord comes in the night with tribulation where there will be chemical, biological, and nuclear warfare. That's why the elements are melting with fervent heat. And the works that are thereon shall be burned up. Each day in creation had an evening and a morning. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 5 it says an evening and morning was the first day. Genesis chapter 1 verse 8, an evening and morning was the second day. Genesis chapter 1 verse 13, an evening and morning was the third day. Genesis chapter 1 verse 19, an evening and morning was the fourth day. Genesis chapter 1 verse 23, an evening and morning was the fifth day. Genesis chapter 1 verse 31, an evening and morning was the sixth day. Notice that each day of creation, which represents a thousand years of time, that each day begins in the evening and ends in the morning, the evening is when darkness comes. So, the Messianic era begins in the evening as well, and we call that evening the Tribulation Period. Now, let's look at the titles for the Seventh-day Sabbath, which is called the Day of the Lord or the Messianic Era. And we're going to make a reference to the darkness part of that time. It is called the Day of His Wrath. It is called the Day of Darkness and Gloominess. It is called the day of destruction and desolation. It's called a day of clouds and thick darkness. It is called a day of trumpet and alarm. It is called a day of trouble. It is called Jacob's trouble. And it's called the day of the Lord's vengeance. So let's look at some scriptures where this description of the day of the Lord, that is the darkness part of the day of the Lord, the tribulation, is described, which this darkness and the tribulation begins the messianic era. In Isaiah chapter 13, verse 6, it says, How ye for the day of the Lord is at hand, and it comes as destruction from the Almighty. Isaiah 13, verse 8, this destruction is described as a woman giving birth and being in pain. 
and they shall be afraid. Pains and sorrows shall take hold of them. They shall be in pain as a woman that travails. Zephaniah chapter 1 verses 14 and 15. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens greatly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord. The mighty man shall cry there bitterly. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloomingness, a day of clouds and thick darkness. The day of the Lord is also called Jacob's trouble. Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 6 and 7. Ask ye now and see whether a man does travail with child. Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail, and all faces are turned into paleness. Alas, for that day is great. What day? The day of the Lord. That day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he will be saved or delivered out of it. Or through it. During the day of the Lord, we're told that all nations will be gathered against Jerusalem. Zechariah chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. It says, Behold, the day of the Lord comes, and your spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. What happens in the day of the Lord? Verse 2 I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city shall be taken, the houses riddled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth in the captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as he fought in the day of battle. We are living in the day when all nations are coming against Jerusalem, and it's being done through the United Nations, and the plan of the world regarding the peace process between Israel and the PLO is to make Jerusalem an international city and to make East Jerusalem a part of a PLO state. And that is all nations being gathered against Jerusalem. We're seeing that now. And what happens and causes the Lord to fight against those nations is what he fought in the day of battle, is that the people of the God of Israel during this crisis time, they end up seeking the face of the God of Israel. They fast, they pray, they repent. And that causes the God of Israel to defeat the enemies of his people. The day of the Lord is also called the controversy of Zion. Isaiah chapter 34, verse 2 and verse 8. For the indignation of the Lord is upon the nations, and his fury upon all their armies. He has utterly destroyed them. He has delivered them to the slaughter. For it is the day of the Lord's vengeance and year of recompenses for the controversy of Zion. So Yahweh's fighting against the nations because they're coming against Jerusalem, and he's fighting for his people Zion, but his people are a controversy. Now let's look at some idioms for the day of the Lord, or the seventh-day Sabbath, that is associated with the Messianic era. Two idioms are, in that day and at that time. What day? What time? The Messianic era, the day of the Lord. In that day appears many times in the book of Isaiah. Let's look at a few instances. Isaiah chapter 2 in verses 2 and 3. It will come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob, 
He will teach us his ways. We will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the Torah and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. In that time, that is the Messianic era, and Isaiah chapter 2, verse 17, and now we're going to speak in verse 17 about the Messianic era. It says, And the loftiness of man shall be bowed down, and the haughtiness of men shall be made low, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. What's the loftiness of man and the haughtiness of men? It is the nations of the world and the kings of the earth that seek to organize and to run a world without the say-so, and submission to the God of Israel and his commandments and his ways. They want a world where he has been thrown out of the affairs of the world. That is pride against the Almighty, and that will be brought low because the Lord alone will be exalted in this day. Isaiah chapter 4, verse 2. In that day shall the branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent. If you look at this fruit of the earth, the fruit of the earth is a reference to Ephraim in one context. But the fruit of the earth is Zion. And if you go to Ezekiel chapter 36, the mountains of Israel is going to spring forth and bud and blossom and bring forth its fruits. So when it talks about the fruit of the earth shall be excellent, that is Zion being restored and redeemed and coming back to the land of Israel. Isaiah chapter 27 verse 13, it will come to pass in that day that a great trumpet shall be blown, and they shall come which were ready to perish. Why were they ready to perish? Is because they're living outside the land of Israel when judgment and destruction comes upon the earth, and there's calamity going on all around them. And in the natural, many people around them are dying, and they're ready to perish too. In the land of Assyria, and the outcasts in the land of Egypt, and will worship the Lord in the holy mount at Jerusalem. Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 17 says, And at that time they shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all nations shall be gathered unto it. Daniel chapter 12 verse 1. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which stands for the children of your people. And at that time there will be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. What time? the time of trouble, the Messianic era, the darkness part of the Messianic era. What else has got to happen then? Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 20. At that time will I bring you again, even in the time that I gather you. For I will make you a name and a praise among all people of the earth when I turn back your captivity before your eyes, says the Lord. So it's going to be during this time of trouble that he's going to gather his people back to the land of Israel and make them a praise in the earth. We can also see the phrase in those days and at that time in Jeremiah chapter 33 verse 15. It says, In those days and at that time will I cause the branch of righteousness to grow up unto David and he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the land. That's Messiah ruling and reigning from Jerusalem teaching the Torah to all nations. In Jeremiah chapter 50 verse 4 is a verse within Jeremiah 50 and 51 that speaks about the fall of Babylon in the end of days, which I believe refers to the United States of America in the context of general Babylon falling 
which there's a Babylon political system, religious system, financial system. So in Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 4, it says, In those days and in that time, that's the Messianic era, says the Lord, the children of Israel will come, they and the children of Judah together, going and weeping. Why are they weeping? They're repenting. And they're asking the way to Zion. That is back to the land of Israel. Joel chapter 3 verse 1 and verse 2, I believe, is where we're at now. It says, For behold, in those days and in that time, which means it's a messianic era event, when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem. Well, he's got to bring again the captivity. They have to have gone into captivity. In Joel chapter 3 verse 2, it says, I will gather all nations, and then when I gather all the nations, I will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they've scattered among the nations and divided or parted my land. This is telling me that the land of Israel is going to be divided or parted, which is what the present plan is, is to take the people of the God of Israel out of Gaza and to make Judea and Samaria a part of a PLO state. There's got to be the dividing of the land. That dividing of the land has got to bring judgment upon the nations, and it's got to bring about a world war. When this world war is happening, it's going to be after the war has started that the God of Israel is going to bring his people back to the land of Israel. The Sabbath is a remembrance of creation. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 9 and verse 11, it says, Six days shall you labor and do all your work. Why? Because in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested the seventh day. And because of what he did in creation, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he hallowed it. The Sabbath is a remembrance of the Egyptian redemption. Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 15. And remember that you were a servant in the land of Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out there through a mighty hand and by a stretched out arm. And remembering that you're a servant in the land of Egypt and how he brought you out, therefore, because he brought you out, therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. This is a prophecy. He's got to take us from all the nations where he's been scattered because he wants us to keep the Sabbath day. That is the Messianic era. He wants us to come to Zion. And what happens in Zion? The Torah goes forth from Jerusalem. So therefore, the Sabbath, which now we're looking at the prophetic Sabbath, that is the rest of the Messianic era, is a remembrance of the restoration from all the lands where the people of the God of Israel has been scattered and the restoration is returned back to Torah, back to the God of Israel who made covenant with the house of Jacob, who is Yeshua the Messiah, and a return back to the land. That is restoration. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7 and verse 10. Alas, for that day is great so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble that he will be saved or delivered out of it. Jeremiah 30, verse 10. Therefore fear thou not, O my servant Jacob. Why is Yahweh telling Jacob not to fear? Because the things that's going on around him will cause him to want to fear. So he says, don't fear, Jacob, neither be dismayed, O Israel. For lo, I will save you from afar and your seed from the land of their captivity. And Jacob will return. Look what happens when he returns. And he shall be in rest and he will be quiet and none will make him afraid. 
what is this rest and quiet and then making him afraid? That's the Sabbath. What's the rest and quiet and then making him afraid? That's Messiah ruling and reigning during the Messianic era. The Sabbath is sanctified or holy. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, it is written, And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day, and he sanctified it. The Sabbath is sanctified, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. The word sanctified is the Strong's number 6942. It is the Hebrew word kadash. What does kadash mean? It means to consecrate, to sanctify, to dedicate, to hallow, to make it holy, to make it separate. The Sabbath is linked to marriage. How is Sabbath linked to marriage? Because the Sabbath is sanctified. We just looked at it. It is kadash. The Hebrew word for holy is kodesh. It's the Strong's number 6944. And the Hebrew word for betrothal is kadushin. Looking at the word for sanctified, kadash, and holy, kodesh, and betrothal, kadushin, they all share the same three Hebrew root letters, which is the kaf, the dalet, and the shin. In Hebrew, which is a spiritual language, those words that share the same root letters are all connected in association and meaning to each other. So in this, we can see how the Sabbath is connected to holiness and how the Sabbath is connected to marriage and being a bride and how this is so. And looking at the biblical marriage, there are two stages to the biblical marriage. The first is betrothal, called kedushin, where you are legally married, but you do not physically dwell with. And the second stage is called nesuin, where you will physically dwell with your mate. In the Talmud, in Shabbat 119a, the rabbis associate the Sabbath to a bride or a queen. Rabbi Hanina robed himself and stood at sunset of Sabbath Eve and exclaimed, Come and let us go forth to welcome the Queen Sabbath. Rabbi Yanai donned his robes on Sabbath Eve and exclaimed, Come, O bride, come, O bride. So the Sabbath is likened unto marriage. Sabbath is likened unto a bride or a queen. There was a wedding that took place between Yeshua in the house of Jacob at Mount Sinai. This marriage is described in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 2. It says, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says Yahweh, I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your espousal or betrothal, it's the Hebrew word kalula, when you went after me in the wilderness, you went after me in a land that was not sown. So once again, there's two stages to the biblical marriage. The first is betrothal, which happened at Mount Sinai, Kedushin. The second is Nesuin, where you're physically dwell with, and this is when Messiah is going to be with his people. First, when he rules and reigns from Jerusalem after he sets his feet down the Mount of Olives, and then the eternal Sabbath, which is the time of the new Jerusalem and the new heavens and the new earth. So if there was a wedding, there has to be a wedding proposal. Where do we see the wedding proposal? 
Exodus chapter 19, verse 3 and verse 5. Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel. Now therefore, if, this is the, the marriage proposal he made, if you will obey my voice indeed, and if you keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. So with this proposal, the house of Jacob says, I accept that proposal. Exodus chapter 19, verse 8. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We accept the proposal. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. In the biblical marriage, and in this marriage that took place between Yeshua and the house of Jacob at Mount Sinai, the Torah is seen as the ketubah or the marriage contract that stipulated the terms and the conditions of the marriage. And looking at the terms and the conditions of the marriage, the God of Israel wanted to place a wedding ring on the finger of his bride to show how much he loved her. What is this wedding ring that he placed upon her to show his love for her? It is the Sabbath. In Exodus chapter 31, verses 12 and 13, it is written, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Sabbath, which you shall keep, for they are a sign. So this could be seen as a ring. They are a sign, or they are a wedding ring, a token, between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord that does sanctify you. Well, in Genesis in chapter 2, we're told that the Sabbath was sanctified. So if he gave them a sign that sanctifies them, this token or this thing that he gave was the Sabbath. So therefore, if you're not keeping the Sabbath, you're saying you're married, but you don't got no evidence of your marriage. You're walking around without a wedding ring. In order to show that you are married to the God of Israel, you have your wedding ring on. You are celebrating not only the weekly Sabbath, but the Sabbath. Part of celebrating the annual festivals, some of those days and times are called Sabbaths. So it's the celebrating of the Sabbath and the festivals that show that you're married. Moses escorts the bride to Mount Sinai, which is seen as being a hoopah, a wedding canopy. Exodus chapter 19, verse 17. And Moses brought forth, or he escorted the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the nether part, or the understanding is they stood underneath the mountain. So the imagery is that the people are standing at the base of the mountain, or they're standing underneath the hoopah. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 17, we can see how Mount Sinai is likened to a hoopah, a wedding canopy of which his bride has got to stand under. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the nether part of the mount. The word nether is the Strong's number, 8482. It's the Hebrew word takti, which means the lower part. So they stood at the base of the mountain. So before the God of Israel could marry his bride, she had to be sanctified. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 10, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes. They were to be sanctified. So 
How are you sanctified? Well, when you keep the Sabbath, the Sabbath is sanctified. So if you keep the Sabbath, you are participating in the sanctification of the God of Israel. But in John chapter 17, verse 17, Yeshua prayed, sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. So what is the truth through which we are sanctified? In Psalm 119, verse 142, your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and your Torah is the truth. Malachi chapter 2, verse 1 and verse 6. And now, O ye priests, this commandment is for you. The Torah of truth was in his mouth. So we're sanctified by keeping the commandments of the God of Israel. Because what if we don't keep the commandments? We're being a whore. We're committing adultery. So you're not sanctified when you are a whore and you're committing adultery. You're sanctified when you're faithful, which is keeping his commandments. We are redeemed for the purpose of keeping the Sabbath of the God of Israel. In Ezekiel chapter 20, verses 3 through 5, it is written, Son of man, speak unto the elders of Israel and say unto them, Thus says the Lord God, Are you come to inquire of me? As I live, says the Lord God, I will not be inquired of you. Will you judge them, son of man? Will you judge them? Cause them to know the abomination of their fathers. And say unto them, Thus says the Lord God, In the day when I chose Israel, and lifted up my hand unto the seed of the house of Jacob, and made myself known unto them in the land of Egypt, when I lifted up my hand unto them, saying, I am the Lord your God, and I gave them my statute, and showed them my judgments, which... If a man does, he shall even live in them. Moreover, also I gave them my Sabbath to be a sign, a token, between me and them, that they may know that I am the Lord that does sanctify them. I gave them my Sabbath so that they will know that I'm the God that sanctifies them. Why? By being faithful to the commandments, the statutes, and keeping the Sabbath. But the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They walked not in my statutes, and they despised my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them. And my Sabbath they greatly polluted. In other words, they didn't obey them. Polluting the Sabbath results in not getting into the promised land. Ezekiel chapter 20, verses 14 through 16. But I was wrought for my namesake that it should not be polluted before the heathen in whose sight I brought them out. Yet also I lifted up my hand unto them in the wilderness that I would not bring them into the land which I had given them, flowing with milk and honey, which is the glory of all lands. Because I would not bring them in. Why? Why would I not bring them in? Because they despised my judgments and walked not in my statutes, but they polluted my Sabbaths. For their heart went after their own idols. But I said unto their children in the wilderness, Walk ye not in the statutes of your fathers, neither observe their judgments, nor defile yourselves with their idols. See, the wilderness where he's telling this to his people is not just in the wilderness of Sinai. It also speaks about being exiled in the nations. The exile is likened in being in the wilderness of the people. So he's speaking to us while we're in exile. Don't do those things that your fathers did that got them into trouble. But I am the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. And hallow my Sabbaths. Keep my Sabbaths. And they shall be a sign between me and you that you may know that I am the Lord your God. 
Notwithstanding, the children rebelled against me. They walked not in my statutes, neither kept my judgments to do them, which, if a man does, he shall even live in them. They polluted my Sabbath. Then I said, I will pour out my fury upon them to accomplish my anger against them in the wilderness. I lifted up my hand unto them also in the wilderness that I would scatter them among the heathen and disperse them through the countries. Why? Because they wouldn't keep you Sabbath. Because they had not executed my judgments but had despised my statutes and because they polluted my Sabbath. So why is it so important that we have this Messianic Hebraic roots of Christianity restoration to the Sabbath and the festivals? Because we are saying that we repent of the sins of our forefathers, and when we do this, the God of Israel promised that when he sees this, then he will regather us. In Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 18, it tells us he's going to gather those from the nations who will keep his appointed times. Keep his Sabbaths, keep his festivals. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 18. I will gather them that are sorrowful for the solemn assembly, who are of thee to whom the approach of it was a burden. Those who have said, no, I can't keep the Sabbath, I can't keep the festivals, the annual festivals, you know, they're too hard. It says, to those people who said it was a burden, and they are sorrowful that they said that, that is who we've got to regather. Yahweh's blessing is for those that keep the Sabbath. Isaiah chapter 51 and verses 1 and 2. It says, Thus says the Lord God, Keep my judgment and do justice, for my salvation is near to come and my righteousness to be revealed. Blessed is the man that does this and the son of man that lays hold on it, that keeps my Sabbath from polluting it and keeps his hand from doing evil. So he blesses those that keep the Sabbath. What's the blessing that the exiles are going to get? They're going to be regathered back to the land of Israel. They're going to be protected in the day of his wrath against the nations. We are redeemed from the nations, and when we are redeemed from the nations, we get cleansed. Ezekiel 36, verses 24 and 25 and verse 27. I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all the countries, and I will bring you into your own land. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you will be clean. From all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. And I will put my spirit within you. And notice why and what purpose and function his indwelling spirit has within us. His indwelling spirit is to got to cause us to walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do that. So if you ever hear someone say, you know, we're walking by the spirit now. We don't need to keep the, the biblical weekly Sabbath and we don't need to keep the annual festivals. Well, scripturally, they're not walking by the Spirit. They may think they have the Spirit in them and the Spirit's telling them to do that, but they've been confused by man's doctrine because the Spirit of Yahweh causes his people to keep his commandments. So we have this principle that before the God of Israel can marry his people, if he's taking his people from the nations, cleaning them up because he wants to marry them, they must go through a sanctification process first. So that's what happened when he brought them out of Egypt before they could come to the mountain. They had to be sanctified, Exodus chapter 19, verse 10. And the Lord said to Moses, go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes. And we see this in the book of Revelation that in marrying the bride that she has to be sanctified. She has to have a white wedding dress on. 
not one that has been stained. How is it stained? By sin. Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 and 8. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arraigned in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. In the sanctification process that the bride must go through in order to be married by Yeshua, we have, as a part of the sanctification process in the end of days, what the Bible calls the ministry of Elijah, which is a ministry of restoration, where he pleads with the people of the God of Israel to keep the commandments. In Malachi chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, Remember the Torah of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Remember the Torah of Moses? Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet. Why is Elijah the prophet being sent? With the message of remember the Torah of Moses. And when is this message being proclaimed? Before the coming and the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Before the day of the Lord, but the dreadful part of it. He says it's the great and dreadful part. What's that? That's the darkness. That's the tribulation. So before the tribulation, there is a message by Elijah to remember the Torah of Moses. I'd like to submit to you that what we call the spirit of that message is what we call the Messianic Hebraic Roots Movement. And the message of this movement is we need to keep the commandments of the God of Israel. We need to keep the weekly Sabbath. We need to keep the annual festivals. That is the ministry of Elijah in the end of days and the message that Elijah is bringing. So we're told in Ephesians in chapter 5 and verses 26 and 27 that before Yeshua marries his bride that she must be sanctified and washed. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 26 and 27 that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that it be holy and without blemish. He's got to sanctify it and cleanse it by washing her with the water of the word. How do you get washed with the water of the word? You keep his commandments. That's how you get washed. When you're unclean in the Torah, you become clean by going through a mikvah, a water immersion. So the Torah is our water that cleans us so that we can be presented as a glorious bride, not having spot or wrinkle, but a holy bride. And once again, we see this in Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 and 8. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arraigned in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. When the ten spies went out to examine the promised land, they came back with an evil report. You remember, it was Joshua and Caleb that came back with a good report. The other ten came back with an evil report. So we are told about this in Numbers chapter 13, and let's see as a result of those who had an evil report about the land what their consequence was, because it is a spiritual lesson to us. Numbers chapter 13, verse 25 and 30 and 31. And they returned from searching of the land after 40 days. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. What is Israel? An overcomer. So in order to go in the land, you have to overcome to go to the land. 
But the men that went up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for the ones in the land, they're stronger than us. In the natural, what do we got to say to a natural person that says, You know what? Our hope and our future is going back to the land of Israel. You know what they're going to say? Why do you want to do that for? There's giants in the land, and they're stronger than you. So Numbers chapter 14, verses 1 through 4, it is written, And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God that we had died in this wilderness? And wherefore has the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return to Egypt? And they said one to another, Let us make a captain and let us return unto Egypt. In the natural, when things are bad in the world, who are you going to first worry about? Your wife and your children. My family. That's who you've got to worry about. But you know what? Because they didn't believe the promise that the God of Israel made to Abraham where he had already declared an oath by himself that he would bring his people into the land because they were concerned about their wives and their children. You know what? The men died, but the wives and the children got to go into the promised land. Numbers chapter 14, verse 11 and verses 22 and 23. And the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere that they believe me for all the signs which I have shown unto them? Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have tempted me now these ten times and have not hearkened unto my voice, surely they will not see the land which I swore unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. So is every believer in these days and times in which we're living, is every believer that Yeshua the Messiah got to go back to the land? No, those that don't believe the promise aren't got to go back. Those who are not keeping his commandments, they are the ones that are likely to die in the wilderness. Where's the wilderness? It's where they're living at the moment outside of the land of Israel. So those who believe the evil report don't enter into the promised land. Psalm chapter 95, verses 10 to 11. Forty years was I grieved with this generation, said, It is a people that err in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. Unto whom I swear in my wrath, the people that don't know his ways, that he brought out of Egypt, that put the blood of the Lamb on the doorpost. It's these people that came out of Egypt that put the blood of the Lamb on the doorpost. It said that those people didn't know his ways, and that they wouldn't enter into his rest. What's his rest? His Sabbath. What's his rest? the messianic era what's the rest it is the peace that messiah brings so yeshua is our sabbath rest that we enter into isaiah chapter 11 verse 10 says and in that day there shall be a root of jesse which shall stand for an ensign of the people to it shall the gentiles seek in his rest the rest of yeshua the messiah his rest will be glorious and Yeshua said in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29, Come unto me, all that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you Sabbath. Take my yoke upon you. What's his yoke? Well, it's all those things that are associated with believing in him. What's his yoke? It's keeping his commandments. So regarding keeping his commandments, regarding all those things that are entailed in following Yeshua, he says, learn of me because I am meek and lowly in heart. And when you take my yoke upon you, you will find rest. You'll find Sabbath. 
you'll find rest for your souls. After Yeshua finished his work at his first coming, which his work, his task was to die on the tree. And you know what dying on the tree represents? It represents laying down what your flesh wants to do to do the will of the God of Israel in your life. That's what dying on the tree represents. So in John chapter 17, verse 1 and verse 4, it is written, These words spake Yeshua and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come, glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. Notice, it's when you do the will of the God of Israel is when he's glorified and when he will glorify you, when you do his will. Then Yeshua says in John 17, verse 4, I have glorified you on the earth. Why? Because I finished the work which you gave me to do. And after Yeshua finished his work, what did he do? He sat down. He took Sabbath. And we're told this in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, when he had by himself purged our sins. When did he purge our sins? When he died on the tree for the forgiveness of our sins. If we will accept and believe in our heart what he did and, and repent of our sins and apply his blood upon our sins, which we've committed against him, that when he purged our sins, he sat down. He took Sabbath on the right hand of the majesty of height. In other words, he ruled and reigned. Because you see, when you do the will of the God of Israel, you will rule and reign. He will cause you to rule and reign. So this is the ways of the kingdom of the God of Israel. Our Sabbath rest is in Yeshua. Our Sabbath rest is believing and obeying what he commands us to do. In Leviticus chapter 26, verses 2 and 3 and verse 6, it is written, You shall keep my Sabbath and reverence my sanctuary, I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments, and do them, then I will give you peace in the land. If you keep my commandments, I'll give you Sabbath. I'll give you peace in the land. So guess what? Is there peace in the land of Israel today? No. Why? Because they're not keeping his commandments. When you keep my commandments and I give you peace in the land, and you will lie down and none will make you afraid. What's this phrase, you will lie down and none will make you afraid? What is that phrase associated with? The Messianic era. That is a phrase that identifies the Messianic era. Who's the ones that make the, the people of the God of Israel afraid? The beasts in the field, the beasts of the world, which is the enemies of the God of Israel. They're the ones that make the people of the God of Israel afraid. Because I'm going to rid the evil beasts out of the land, neither shall sword go through your land. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, we can see how our rest is in obeying Yeshua, keeping his commandments, in believing the word of the God of Israel. It says, There remains therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, those that enter into his rest, you cease from your own works, as God did from his. So let us labor to enter into rest. Let us labor to enter into rest for... The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the defining asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intent of the heart. In Hebrews chapter 
3 and verse 7 and 8 and verse 14, and then in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 3, it is written, Wherefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear his voice, when you hear his voice, when? Today. Harden not your heart as in the provocation and the day of temptation in the wilderness. For we are partakers of Messiah if we hold fast the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. So what was the beginning of the confidence of the children of Israel when he redeemed them out of Egypt with all the signs and wonders? They put the blood of the lamb upon the doorpost. But we are partakers if we hold fast that confidence to the end, that is through the wilderness journey, and into the promised land. For we which have believed, believed what? Well, for the children of Israel, they needed to believe the promise that was made to Abraham. By the way, Galatians chapter 3, verse 29, if you are Messiah, then are you Abraham's seed, and you are an heir according to the promise. So we are called upon to believe the same promise. Do you believe that the God of Israel, through Yeshua the Messiah, gave you the land that he promised to Abraham? If you do, then you will seek to inherit that land. For we which have believed do enter into rest. We that believe enter into Sabbath. We that believe enter into the Messianic kingdom. As he said, as I have sworn to my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. The Sabbath will be kept during the Messianic era. We can see this in... Ezekiel chapter 46, verse 1 and verse 3. Thus says the Lord God, The gate of the inner court that looks toward the east shall be shut the six working days, but on the Sabbath it shall be open, and on the day of the new moon it shall be open. It's talking about one of the gates of the temple of the Messianic era. It will be shut the six working days, but on the Sabbath it is going to be open. Likewise, the people of the land shall worship at the door of this gate before the Lord in their Sabbaths and in the new moons. The Sabbath will be kept during the time of the new heavens and the new earth, which the time of the new heavens and new earth is associated with the new Jerusalem in eternity. Isaiah chapter 66, verses 22 and 23. For as the new heavens and new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. What seed? That's the seed of Israel. Will remain. And it will come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another shall all flesh, all flesh come to worship before me, says the Lord. So all flesh is going to be keeping his Sabbath at the time of the new heaven and the new earth. This is going to conclude our study on the themes of the Sabbath. In our study, we saw that the Sabbath is the seventh day of creation. And that seventh day of creation is prophetic of a thousand-year period of time known as the Messianic Era. Each day of creation began in the evening and ended in the morning. Likewise, the Messianic Era will begin in an evening we call it the Tribulation Period. The Sabbath is called the Day of the Lord. The Messianic Era is called the Day of the Lord. And the evening, or the darkness part of the day of the Lord, is the tribulation period. So it is during the day of the Lord when his people enter into rest. That is, they're redeemed from the nations where they have been scattered, and they return back to the land of Israel. And coming back to the land of Israel, they have to be sanctified, which means they have to repent of their sins and the sins of their forefathers and the lands where they've been scattered, and they need to be washed and sanctified 
How are you washed and sanctified? It's by the blood of Yeshua. It's by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's by repenting of your sins and obeying the commandments of the God of Israel, which includes the annual festivals and the weekly Sabbath. Because this sanctification process is what the bride has to go through in order to be married to her bridegroom, and it is during the Messianic era where Messiah will dwell with his bride. The Sabbath is likened unto a bride. The Sabbath is holy, marriage is holy, therefore we have the connection between the Sabbath and marriage in the Messianic era with Messiah. Messiah is our Sabbath rest. Our rest is when we believe His Word and when we follow Him and when we keep His commandments. I pray that this message has been a blessing to you and that you will enter into the Sabbath rest which Yeshua the Messiah provides for all people on the earth who choose to accept Him and follow His ways. Remember always these words from 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. He who says he abides in him, he who says that he's a believer in Yeshua as the Messiah, ought himself to walk even as he walked. And how did Yeshua walk? He kept the Sabbath of his Father. He kept the annual festivals. He kept the weekly Sabbath. So if we're going to walk as he walked, we are going to do that as well. Shalom in Yeshua the Messiah. Amen.